Hi, Miss Emily. Hello, Stevie. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Why do you laugh? <laughs> because we just asked each other that five seconds ago. I know. How are you? I'm okay. I'm feeling very overwhelmed by life, but you know what? That's life. So. <laughs> that is life. Do you want to do hoorays? Do you want to get into the question? Yeah, let's do some hoorays. My hooray is that I got a new um, tennis skirt and I really like it. I don't play tennis. It's I'm wearing it not to do exercise, but <laughs> I really like the way that it looks and I will wear it to do exercise, but at the moment I'm wearing it um, out and about. It's very comfortable and I feel very good in it. Oh, and I got my belly button pierced and oh my God, so yeah. you can see that, which I'm a big fan of. It's so cute. Jillian Anderson's influence. <laughs> and then my other hurry is that I'm making way into a new book and I'm excited. Mm, what book? Where the Girls Are. Yeah, Where the Girls Are by Susan Douglas. Oh, cool. Again, it's a book I was supposed to read in college, but didn't. Um, and so I'm reading it now. And it's basically just about um, growing up uh, as a woman under the um, gaze of mass media. That's so cool. Yeah. That sounds like a good read. I told you all that I'm reading more so that I can describe Jillian Anderson's beauty better, and I'm doing it. This episode will be the test. This episode will be the test, but also, it, can it not be? Because I'm very early <laughs> on. <laughs> I'm very early. <laughs> I'm very early on in that endeavor, and you can have the test whenever you want it to be. <laughs> okay, it's a made-up test. The next episode, though, might be a good one because. There's one of my favorite stills of all time of really? her, of her beautiful uh -oh. face in the next episode. It makes me weak in the knees every single time I see that still. And the only reason I know this episode is because I know that that still is from it. I don't know what else happens in that episode. I'm very excited to see that because I have no idea what still you're talking about. Um, my hooray is, is that... We talked about her knitwear last episode, but my friend Chloe, who has a little knitting site called Food for Moths, um, knit me a corset, which I think I said last episode as well. Um, and Emily and I had a little photo shoot with it this morning at like 9 a.m. on our fire escape. And it was so fun. And the yeah, pictures turned out really good. And I'm so um, proud of Chloe and her work. Like, she's so fucking talented. Jesus Christ. Um, and I'm so grateful to you because I was feeling so stressed and I could not get these fucking pictures taken. And you were like, let's just do it and have fun. And it was like the highlight of my day. Oh, good. I'm so glad. Well, it goes back to what we talked about last episode, which is just that like nothing gets done if nothing gets done. And everything swirling around in your head is not something that is attackable. And so tackling things like one at a time. Yeah. And just focusing on that one thing, I think, is helpful. It's true. Should we do the question? Yeah, let's do the question. So the question is, hi there. I really enjoy your podcast, and I'm not sure if my question is very interesting. Yes, it is. Stop being so hard on yourself. Oh but God. Everybody says at the beginning of their questions, and they're always the most interesting things I've ever heard. I know. You deserve to take up space, listeners. 
especially in our inbox. We literally, we literally ask for it. But any tips or life advice would be great. They said, I'm fairly new to the X-Files fandom and I've just started university. I have also been really struggling to make friends and get myself out there. I had a few major life events happen at the start of the year. And since then, I have just been struggling to get myself out there again and talk to and meet more people. I was just wondering if you had any tips on how to approach people and gain confidence. I was also inspired to ask because I love the friendship you both share and really hope I can meet more people or find someone on Twitter who shares the same interests as me, but I'm just scared to put myself out there. As a young sapphic girl who loves Jillian Anderson, feminism, and hearing all about how the X-Files is problematic, but still good in some ways, your podcast has been so good, and I love listening to you both talk. And Emily, your obsession over Scully's nose and lips is so relatable and just same. I can't rewatch episodes without getting distracted by her. Anyway, love you guys. Hope you can help. Yeah, Bestie, we're really getting into the episodes where I, I, I couldn't even tell you anyone's name in this episode. <laughs> I was so distracted by her face. But thank you for the question. Thank you for your kind words. That was very sweet. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, congrats on starting school. That's yeah. really, really cool and so exciting. Um, that will be, it's so, it's so exciting to move on to something like that where it's like, you know what's coming next and um but the opportunities are are endless mm -hmm. i think that's such an exciting time um i think that's so, my probably favorite time to be in like where you have like yeah. some semblance of security but also unknown yeah we love the balance well, because it's like presumably you want to go to school and so it's something that you're interested in it's something that you're passionate about but you have a lot of avenues to explore exactly how that's going to manifest um, with a sense of security. And that's exciting. That will um, help you with meeting people, whether they like end up in friendships or end up in like a study buddy or whatever it is, or whether it's just an avenue for you to practice, to talk to people and interact with people, especially after what we've just been through. Like it's yeah. been, an unprecedented year or over a year for literally, well, I don't want to say everyone because some people are fucking idiots, but like <laughs> people um, in the world. And so everyone is pretty much in the same boat. Um, yeah, take comfort in the fact that you're not the yeah. only one who's anxious about going into new social situations. Exactly. So I think that like, while the last year and a half has been really shitty for obviously a lot of reasons, it's like... I think there's comfort in the fact that, you know, everyone is going into, so if you, the same situation socially, so if you had social anxiety before, it's kind of like, you know, a lot more people are now in the same boat. And mm -hmm. so um, they're all going to be in one space. So I think that takes a lot of the pressure off, at least for me, yeah. um, for sure. On that same note, I didn't meet um, like any of my close friends in college until um, my junior and senior year. Yeah. So, um, like, if it's not happening right away, don't give up hope. And there's nothing wrong with you if it's not happening right away. No. It's like, however, however long or however long it takes you to settle into yourself and settle into a place where you're comfortable, um, like, quote unquote, putting yourself out there or interacting with people, um, that's great. Yeah. For me, like, in college, the people I thought, I was like, these are life friends that I'm making. Yeah. I don't even speak to anymore. And the people that I were like, oh, yeah, just, like, fun acquaintances are now my close, closest friends. Yeah. 
And I think too, with college, what's nice is that it's like, you can, um, it's really easy to strike up a conversation with someone, especially if they are in your class Mm -hmm. or if you have, if you're in the same um, major or whatever, if you're in the same degree program, um, because you can always, like, I found it was the easiest to comfortably ask for people's numbers by just saying like, oh, do you want to study together? Do you Mm want to work work on this project together or whatever? And then um, that really, really helps. And oftentimes I would even just email people in my class. Um, Oh, that's so smart. Yeah. And like, then we, you know, make a shared Google doc or whatever it is. But I think that there are a lot of avenues um, that you'll, you'll come to um, grow into and get used to engaging in, in, in college and university at university, which is helpful. And even if you're finding that the people in your degree programs maybe aren't of like your people, like you're not necessarily vibing with anybody in your classes and things. I mean, join a club. Yeah. Yeah, Because then you get very specific and like common interests and um, you're more likely to vibe. Yeah. That's a great, that's a great tip. In terms of like, um, I mean, well, I'll just say one more thing for um, real life interactions, which is just like the, the mindset that I've always gone into that. And especially now I'm going into any interaction that I have is just like, I don't expect anything. I'm not anticipating anything happening. I don't put any, um, I don't put any expectations or anxieties around like what might happen, what won't happen, if it's going to last, if it's not going to last, if we're going to vibe, if we're not going to vibe. Yeah. Like I don't, I just go into it, um, into any interaction thinking like, okay, well I could either make a new friend or, or not. Mm-hmm. but the latter doesn't leave me any worse off. The only, the only option is, is to be better off. Exactly. That's a new friend. That's a really good point because I think a lot of the anxiety is lifted um, in finding friendships and in finding romantic relationships when you are comfortable with yourself, because then when, um, because it, it is inevitable that you're going to not vibe with people. So like when you do come across people that it's just not working with, um, it, it, just like Emily said, you're not worse off. You're, you're bad. You're still complete. It's like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And I think too, like this is, this goes for um, real life and for um, online interactions and trying to find friendships and stuff. Um, I think that like, if you aren't, if you, if you and a person that you're talking to, like, if you don't share the same energy or if you're not attracted to the energy of this person, then like, don't push it. I think that like, when we get to a point where, especially again, like, so the past year and a half has been such, it's, it's been a blessing for some reasons and, and a curse for other reasons. And this is one of them, I think, because it's like, when we reach a point where it's like, oh, I just want friends. Like, I just want someone to interact with. I just want someone to talk with about things that I'm also interested in. It can get to a point of like desperation where it's like, well, maybe like I'm not trying hard enough or like mm. maybe I'm not saying the right thing. It's not that, bestie. Like if you are if you are not on the same wavelength as someone that you're talking to, you're not on the same wavelength and like you're not for them. Exactly. And that's okay. But I think that like what's important now after what we've just been through is to not compromise um 
who you are in any way or how you speak or how you act or what you find funny or anything to uh, formulate interactions with people because that ultimately is more exhausting I think than yeah and you know the anxiety over over finding people or meeting people yeah and I think you're really right about trying to remove expectations because people will show you who they are and it's just it's up exactly. to you to believe them because I think a lot of times you'll put projections of what you want people to be onto people and then when they very obviously don't live up to that standard because it's not what they are um you'll be really disappointed and hurt but they were showing you who they were from the beginning yeah and I think like for for us when we first started talking like it was very clear like immediately that we were pretty much on the same wavelength and we Mm. were just very similar like I felt very at ease um talking to you always and I never felt like I had to um change who I was or like you know um or make excuses or anything Mm -hmm. like when we were talking and um that was so different for me like that was such a different experience because I I I think I was still in the mindset of like oh no like you kind of have to adjust a little bit like in order to get in the door like in order to get people to like you Mm -hmm. but like that's bullshit yeah you don't and you shouldn't like we're proof that you don't have to yeah um and I think like I know there can be a lot of fear about going in fully because it, it rejection hurts less if you're if if you're not being your full self, right? If you're if you're putting on some kind of a front and somebody doesn't like it, if you're like, well, it's whatever. Like I wasn't really being my genuine self. But when you come to somebody fully being yourself, being completely vulnerable and open, um, and if they aren't vibing with you, that can really hurt. But you're still complete by yourself and like that person wasn't meant to be in your life and the reason Emily and I became such good friends is because she reached she cold reached out to me and asked to read my thesis and so if you had if you had been scared to reach out because I might not want to have talked to you or whatever um I wouldn't even be in the state so (laughs) that's what I yeah I mean yeah, that's the thing. And I know Amy Lou Wood, which is so ironic that we're doing this question, but Amy Lou Wood just did a, um, what is that called? Uh, a reel. What, yeah, was it a reel? Or I, anyways, she did something on Instagram and um, she essentially was like, what do you have to lose? Like, you know, you could gain a new friend or you could, you know, maybe this person could be the one, but, you know, you, you lose nothing by putting yourself out there and... Um, and reaching out to someone Mm -hmm. i'm a big i'm a big believer in you know reaching out to people and i've reached out to people and got no response yeah i've reached out to people and like you know the conversation maybe like goes back and forth for a bit and like that's it Mm -hmm. and it's like i think the thing with um with what you said earlier too about like just how you imagine someone in your head is important as well because um that happens very, very often, um, especially on a site that's like, you know, not anonymous, but pretty faceless. Yeah. Um, and so I think that if you can, like detaching whatever idea you have of this person. Um, and what you want them account, to be. Yeah. Um, and just like reaching out to them, if you feel like you guys would get along, then go for it. Yeah. Um, especially like in this plat in, in this space, like you couldn't, there could not be like a more, um, 
like a safer space to reach out to people because it's literally over, you know, you're just messaging them. Exactly. And you already know that you have something in common. So that's great. And that's such a huge step for in the right direction already. Um, and it's kind of ironic because Florence Given just posted on her Instagram today. Um, she's done this before, a kind of like mixer like a mixer like on her like a post and then people start commenting where they're from a little bit about themselves and then she'll pin people's comments and then you can find people either in your area or with similar interests and then you can get put in a group chat with them and start talking and just meet people and maybe this is dumb but i was thinking that maybe we could do that on a really small scale so if anybody after listening to that question if you're thinking hey I'm also a sapphic girl who loves hearing about how problematic the X-Files is, but it's still good in some ways. And I too love Jillian's nose. Um, And I'm also in college. It doesn't have to be those things. You could be none of those things and still want to reach out. Then um, send us a curious cat or something. I don't know what would be the best way. And maybe we can try to connect you. Yeah. that's dumb? No, that's a great idea. Well, if it doesn't work, maybe it'll be dumb. But no. I mean, listener, if we don't give you any, if, if people don't come through, then you can come right directly into our inbox and we'll be your friends. We can chat. This isn't necessarily related to friendships, but I think it's related to just um, interactions with relationships in general. Um, I've been thinking a lot lately about feeling hopeless about not having certain relationships or friendships that you might desire in your life um and like feeling like you're never gonna find that um and I found a little bit of solace in just trying to reaffirm the fact that I know that I deserve good healthy relationships and that because that's what I deserve I will get that if I continue to work on myself and and move through life with the purest of intentions and all of those things um and that's providing me with a little bit of solace. And so even if you've never experienced a healthy friendship of somebody that reciprocates your interests or at least holds the space for you to express those interests, just know that that is what you deserve and that it'll come to you and that you're entering into the right space and you're asking all the right questions. So you're already on the right track and you're already farther than a lot of people. Um, mm-hmm. And so really be proud of yourself for being where you're at and know that it'll come when um, you're best equipped to handle it. Mm-hmm. There's one thing that I like um, using as an affirmation, which is just like, um, whatever, the only thing you have to do to get what is meant for you is, is receive it. Oh, I love that. Like, and be open to receiving it. Like, that's literally all you have to do to get what you desire. Um, Because what is meant for you, you will receive. So it's like, yeah. Um, it's so true and I think like particularly with friendships for me like it's felt very very hopeless like Mm. oftentimes but I will say nearly every friendship that I have now and like some of my favorite people ever and the most important people in my life are are that to me because I reached out or I put myself out there or I you know, and I wasn't, and the thing, the whole thing about gaining confidence is like, when some of these things happened, they happened in real life. And I wasn't, you know, I didn't have a lot of confidence Mm -hmm. and I wasn't in my, um, in the best place. Um, but there was just that, like that gut feeling of being like, no, like I really, this person feels like, um, 
like an like th this 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 feels like a person who I want in my life and who would who would support and complement um and reciprocate my energy and the love that I am willing to give yeah um and then I feel like I had inside of me and like truly like one of my best friends we were in the same class right off the bat I could tell we had like the same energy right like just from she was sitting in the front I was sitting in the back and like just from that just from her answering questions I could tell that we would get along and so she was wearing a sweatshirt that um of a gym that I also went to but it was like a really small gym so I thought how weird that she is also wearing that mm -hmm. and one day after class um I was gonna do I was gonna say something to her and then I kind of chickened out and I didn't oh and then um and then the next class or something or a couple classes later she gave a presentation and I went up to her and I was like I loved your your presentation was incredible like you were so well spoken and so articulate and um I'm I'm super passionate about what you talked about as well um and I just wanted to let you know that oh and now we're like really now we're really really good friends and she's one of the most important people in my life that's the same thing with that's amazing with a lot of the other people like my other friend said that he wanted to talk to me for so long and he wanted to be friends with me for so long and we had so many classes together and the reason that he felt that way was because he saw the pins that i had on my backpack and Aww. he was like oh my god this girl is so cool and it was like he told me that he wanted to say something for so long and then he never did until you know literally like our last couple of years in in college Aww. and while i think that like it would have been i mean i i wish you know i knew him longer than i than i have but at the same time um we we met when we were meant to meet and we met at a time in our lives where we could receive each other yeah and that's probably why we're as good of friends as we are now and he's one of the most important people in my life as well and that's how the cookie crumbles you I know mean, what i mean that was just making me think about i think a lot of growing up is just becoming more and more anxious about things that we didn't even think about before totally you know what i mean like mm -hmm. going into becoming friends with people and like conversations and i think social media has a lot to do with this like like what like the other day um emily's uncle witnessed her and i trying to formulate a response to something um and he was just absolutely perplexed that we could be so hyper analytical of everything down to the punctuation and spelling and capitalization used and what that tone elicits right because social media social social media what the fuck social media makes you hyper analyze all those things and just growing up makes you more and more anxious because um i think as you realize what life is really like um and you're kind of disillusioned uh things become more scary and unknown and like what you thought you were sure of you now feel like you're not um but i'm thinking about like how when you're little making you, you don't think about making friends really or at least i didn't like and, and i mean really really little like i one of my best friends like in the world we became best friends when we were nine years old because i held her books while she went pee before we went into our math class. 
and like and then we were like okay let's just be let's just hang out together because when you're little and I'm, I'm at risk of sounding really hippie here so just like bear with me but I feel like when you're little you're so much more open to the world like that you have way less walls up because you've been you haven't been hurt as much you haven't you haven't been disillusioned to the like you've seen the horrors of the world you know what I mean Mm-hmm. So you're just way more open. And so, like you said, you just receive more. And so when people like, when you hold people's books, when they pee and they come and then they smile at you and you feel warm from that, you receive that. And then you become, then you hang out with that person because why, why would you gravitate away from the energy that made you feel good? And it's like all very instinctual. Um, no, that doesn't sound hippie at all. That's actually fact. Um, because, uh, Gloria Steinem often talks about how the reason why um, why she believes that um, women and other marginalized groups need to be in positions of power, um, but particularly women and particularly women of color and black women, um, is because they've yet to be corrupted by power. Mm. They've yet to be corrupted by what it feels like to have power. And so, um, so because of that, they would be the, the, the best, the best to choice yeah. for leader, for, for our leadership positions. Mm-hmm. And it's the, so it's the exact, so it is, so it is true. It's the exact same thing. The less corrupted you are by experience and by what you, um, whatever, um, you know, trauma or whatever you've experienced, the less, um, the less hurt you are, the less walls you have been forced to put up, um, the more able you are to receive different things. So I, yeah. I that doesn't, that's not hippie at all. And, I think that that's, that's true. And it's like, it's not to say that you're ever too damaged to welcome in happy relationships into your life again, um, no. because God fucking knows I'm demolished. Like I, I'm so damaged. I, I, I would not be able to be returned to Target. There are too many well, I think the point is, it's like at the time. Yeah. It has to be the right time. Yeah. Because I've gone through periods of time where I've been like, I'm too damaged to ever be loved again or to ever accept love or ever love properly. But then it, it's been very comforting to remember that there was a time where I could. Like your, mm-hmm. like your origin point, maybe this will sound hippie, is like when you're born, you're born without those wounds, you know, like those, Mm -hmm. and you're born without that corruption. And so that's your original state. So it does exist within you. It doesn't go away. Like that little you who's very pure and innocent and willing to accept everything around them is still there. And so it's not impossible. It's just and I think being conscious of what wounds you do have and what walls you do have up and, and being aware of what limitations that's going to create for you and accepting those limitations is a big um, step in, in moving forward and pursuing relationships. At least it has been for me. And by relationships, I mean friendships because I think that it's all the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that that's a really, really great point. Um, and I think, so that's the thing. Like it doesn't necessarily come from having confidence. It doesn't necessarily come from not traumatized like it doesn't Uh come from any of that it comes from just like genuinely feeling like um like you want this person in your life and that you um and that you don't want to let the moment where that possibility could be reciprocated or that feeling could be reciprocated pass you by yeah um 
And so it's like, I saw this TikTok the other day and this girl was like, I get asked all the time, like how I make friends as an adult. And she said, like, she prides herself on being really good at that because of what we said earlier, which is just like, you know, rejection is not a rejection of you personally. Mm -hmm. It's simply just that you were not meant for this person. Um, And that often, and I know we've said this before in the podcast, but it's like, oftentimes, most of the time, people are um, reacting to... um, People are reacting based on where they are as opposed to who you are or what you are presenting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's um, a really good reframing. And so, um, so, so this girl basically was like, you know, that that's I've gotten to that point in my life where I've been able to accept that and I've um I've grown to that, you know, level of of consciousness and um or I've healed, I guess, to that point of of being able to interact in that way mm-hmm. with that mindset. And she said, so I go into interactions, like if I go into a store and the girl who's taking care of me, if I feel like we're really, like we have really similar energy and we're getting along and we're laughing with each other and like, she seems really cool. I'll just be like, um, Hey, can, can I get your Instagram? Like, I feel like I'd love to just, I'd love to hang out with you or like go shopping or something like that. Um, and Another thing that I like to do too, sometimes if you're feeling super anxious, which like this might be a good way to get into it is give someone your Instagram or give someone your number. Mm -hmm. Um, and then say, you know, if you want to hang out, text me. Yeah. Um, because that takes the, I think that takes some anxiety off. Yeah of you and of the other person. It puts the other person in a really comfortable position because it gives them um, it, it gives them the opportunity to say no without having to make a, you know, a split second decision mm-hmm. or do something that they, that they don't want to do. Um, and eventually, you know, work your way up to being like, Hey, can I, can I get your Instagram? Like you seem really cool. I feel like we would, I feel like we would we would get along really well. I'd love to go. I'd love to hang out with you. Or I'd love to get coffee with you or something. That's really interesting. Cause it's making me think, and I'll cut this out if it doesn't, cause it's a, it's a fledgling thought. Right. Okay. Um, but it's like the idea of if you're vibing with somebody in the store and you want to give them your Instagram seems really scary because I feel like there's this societal expectation that friendships are just supposed to happen. You're not supposed mm. to pursue them. They're just supposed to come out of nowhere relationships, yeah. which is what, with society that we live in prioritizes over everything like you're not complete if you don't have a romantic relationship romantic yeah yeah. like you're not complete if you don't have a romantic and or sexual relationship um so there's apps for that there's like everybody's talking there's dating tips it's like all it's in every magazine there's articles there's like endless sources of information on how to obtain a romantic partner but there's not for friendships and i feel like it's rooted in homophobia because frequently I could be wrong here, but frequently friendships are of the person of the same gender identity, well, at least not of the heteronormative um, gender dynamic. Um, And so I feel like because it's frequently homoerotic, everyone's like, Oh, like that. It's something that everybody has. Like everybody has friends, but we don't talk about how to get them. And we don't like, and we don't prioritize friendships because they don't produce anything, which is capitalism. Mm. Like you, it doesn't lead you to having children and producing something. And, and you know, do you know what I mean? Is that, is there something there or am I just rambling? 
Yeah, no, that's a really good point. You know, like maybe it's not yeah. homophobia, but may- maybe it's more rooted in capitalism and in the fact that friendships aren't as valued as relationships be- or as romantic relationships because they're, they're they're not productive in the way that yeah. society it, they are productive, but not in the way that's beneficial to capitalism. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, so it's kind I mean, of like saying fuck the patriarchy and capitalism by um, reaching out to friends. So you should do it. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the narr- that's the moral of this story is that um, there are uh, a lot of um, sapphic women who love Jillian Anderson all over the world. <laughs> all over the world, bestie. <laughs> um, and so you already have an in. So just go for it. Yeah, just reach out to people. I thank my lucky stars every day that Emily wanted to read my thesis and wasn't too scared to DM me and ask. She was the first person who asked to read it. Was I really? Yeah. And I was so blown away that anybody would even ask. Like, I could not believe that somebody was messaging me wanting to read that. I thought it would just be like, oh, look at this cool thing I did. And I also couldn't fathom asking somebody for content. I had seen, I had been lurking on Stan Twitter for months before I actually made an account. Um, Mm. And I had seen so many things about people posting um, snippets from Tumblr postings and things about fix and stuff that I was really interested in. But I was like, no, I'm not going to DM them and ask. That'd be weird. Um, that'd be so weird. And then you just come in and shamelessly ask to read something and, and it changed my life. And that, that sounds dramatic, but it did. Like it, it truly changed the entire path of my life, not the path, but I I feel like this is where I was meant to go. But you know, like this time, what you thought was the path that you had planned. The path that I had planned is not at all where I am now. And I wouldn't change anything about it. Yeah, me as well. And so just, and if I didn't feel, if I was like, no, fuck you, you can't read my thesis, she would have been like, god damn. And that would have been the end of it. Yeah, truly. And then that's fine. I think that it ultimately just goes back to, too, like fostering a level of self-acceptance to the point where it's like you don't take things personally. Yes, because I, I think struggle like if, with that. If Stevie had said, like, if you had said, no, fuck you, you can't read my thesis, I would have just been like, oh, fuck me then, I guess. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I wouldn't have been like, oh my God, what did I, did I say something wrong? Oh, I, because I know that I went at it respectfully yeah. and I know that I went. And I know that my intentions were good. Exactly, so all that matters. So if you're like, if you're not, if you are existing and acting with the with pure with I don't want to say pure I don't like that word with with kind intentions and healthy and respectful and um, loving then and and if you're not met with that back then that's their issue that's their thing to yeah. work through. Um, yeah. It, I I have to remind myself multiple times a day and frequently and I and I still fucking forget that. Not everything is about me. Not everybody's action or mood change or behavior thing is in response to me. Frequently, 90% of the time, it has nothing to do with me. And Emily, I appreciate you being really patient with this because very often Emily will be like upset about something. And I'll be like, are you mad at me? Did did I do something? (laughs) And you're like, no, you fucking Leo. (laughs) But I think that that's that's very typical of someone who has been traumatized by relationships, friendships. Yeah, because um, I 
went through the exact same thing, like a, the exact same thing. And it absolutely is rooted in, in that. Because sometimes, because sometimes in abusive relationships and in toxic relationships that I had it been is, in, yeah. it was the reason. Exactly. Like they, I was just, they were just upset because of, you know, I don't know. I drank my water too fast or some fucking bullshit. Exactly. I don't know. My God. Like the, trauma. Some, I re-fucking tweet, friend. Like abusive friendships can really fuck you up. Like. Yeah. because truly because you think if you I the other day what was I doing I think I like I like something fell off my fork I don't know I was like serving too slowly like my food and I was like sorry and you're like what the fuck are you sorry for and taking your tofu and it kept falling off of your spoon yeah and I was I was like oh my god sorry like I couldn't like I wasn't getting my food fast enough and I thought you were going to be mad um and like that's trauma but how beautiful to now now that I have a relationship where you can be like, no, you can exist. Like, you should have friends that like you. Mm-hmm. For you. Like, that should, at the bare minimum. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, this has taken so many, this conversation has taken so many forms at this point. I think the final thing that I would say is like, okay, if you love Jillian Anderson, then take this particular behavior as gospel, which is that um, she told a story about how she was at a movie theater and she saw some guy. She said that she noticed that they were laughing at the same parts of the movie and that they were reacting to the movie at the same parts. This man probably was fully aware she was staring <laughs> staring at him. Um but then she said that after the movie was over, she started to walk away. And then she was like, you know what? No, I'm going to go. I'm going to go see if he wants to get coffee or whatever. And she fucking did. And then they ended up dating for a couple of months. And like, fucking rad. Like, yeah. that is that is the woman that you love. So, you know, be like her. It was probably really fucking scary. She didn't have the internet. I know. I was just going to say, this is the one realm where social media again and it's nicole kidman's birthday fuck she's coming out nicole she's possessing you You exercise nicole kidman from your body this is the one realm where social media makes um this a little bit easier actually totally to where because before you had to be like here's my landline and then you have to talk to them on the phone and then you had to like make a meeting to go meet in person somewhere um where now you can literally just send somebody a DM or comment on a post and be like, hey, I think you're really rad. Do you want to like, and it's so, it's so it's easy. A great for- <laughs> it's, it's a great forum to um, Connect. make connections. Yeah. It's really great. Um, and, and we will, we'll really try to connect you, listener. Yeah. Seriously. I really, I want to try. Um, I want to, you- we can make it like a little like speakeasy. Well, totally. these little listeners can come at a little, I say, most of these people, I think, who listen are older than us. <laughs> we can all get together in a chat. Little, our little community. Hey, if, guess what? If you didn't send this anonymously, um, I absolutely would have reached out to you in some format and um, said, hey, let's, let's chat about Jillian Anderson's nose mm-hmm. all day. Maybe would have attached some some cheeky little screenshots I've got. She's got you know. screenshots, listener. 
S- slide into shots. Emily's DMs. And by Emily's DMs, I mean either on Instagram or just the podcast because Emily's deactivated from Twitter. Yeah. Anyways, thank you, listener. And congratulations on starting school. You're incredible. Yep. And we love you. Thank you for sharing that with us and for your kind words. And I hope that a little bit of that was helpful. Yes. Should we get into the episode? Let's get into the episode, Bestie. All righty. This episode's called The Walk. Oh, horrible name. It's about I, a quadruple amputee. I don't know who how this episode cleared anyone. All right, here we go. I'm about to dive in. Whoa. So we open in an army hospital psychiatric ward in Evanston, Maryland. Why are we always with the military? The show's really anti-military, which I'm about, but like... Yeah, I can't figure it out. Um, I just have to say, you telling... I know I've said this before, but I really mean it this time. Whatever you're about to say, like whatever plot you're about to tell, is like, this is the first time I'm hearing this. I know. I don't think I wrote down one thing about anything that happened, aside from the fact that Jillian's bangs are precariously uh, they bang they're, at, they're, they're at a precarious length um, bang and bangs in relation to my mental health do you want to bang her with her bang and bangs yeah i'd love that <laughs> i can't make it happen for you but i know i know you would if you could i would um not joking one of my three wishes <laughs> we sometimes will like do like if you had a genie what would your three wishes be and one of my three wishes is for um, is that Emily could marry Dana Scully because then I would get to be friends with her too. So it's selfish, but no, it's not. That's the most selfless thing ever. Wait think- till you hear my other two wishes. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard them. Still, still stands. Still stands. Because guess what? You deserve both of the other ones as well. Thank you. You're welcome. How mysterious. So, we open on the Army Hospital psychiatric ward in Evanston, Maryland. The doctor is talking to a patient who is a former colonel about his multiple suicide attempts. The doctor thinks that there are cries for help because he hasn't succeeded in actually killing himself yet, and the colonel interrupts and says, he won't let me die. Um, the doctor asks who, but the colonel simply like looks off into the distance eerily. And that's the type of mystery that I want to embody in my life, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, what am I thinking? Who won't let me die, you know? Mm-hmm. So the doctor... What are, what are my two other wishes? Yeah, what are my two other wishes? I'm not going to say. I'll never tell. That's a secret. I'll never tell. <sighs> um, so the doctor is like, okay, fine, bye. Um, leaves to go get him something to go to sleep. The second the doctor leaves, the colonel dips and goes into the hydrotherapy room and tries to kill himself again. Um... And this scene made me think, I remember in um, 13 Reasons Why, like when that show came out, like a really big critique of it was that with how graphically they showed her suicide because it nears like a how-to tutorial in its graphicness. And this edges on that because we see him taking all of these precautions before he attempts to take his own life. And that's really triggering and um, hard to watch. Yeah. Especially in the first two minutes of an episode. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it's very, it, it's un, it was an unfortunate um, short, a shortcoming of the episode, yeah. which is that they tried to angle it as like, he's done this so many times that he just knows like what to, like he knows the steps to go through mm-hmm. without realizing that that is extremely explicit and extremely hard to watch. It's very ex- explicit is the perfect word for it. All I was thinking in this opening is thankfully... I was so happy that that wasn't one of those, um, the dresses, what are those, the gowns with, like, the open the, butt? Yeah, that are assless. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to see an assless gown unless Mulder's in it. His little cheeks. <laughs> Giant centipede. Oh, my <gasps> God. oh shit. What is going on? Listen, she's running around the room trying to kill a giant centipede. Oh, God, that's banging. <laughs> I don't know it's moving. I think it's gonna get on the floor. She can't hear me right now. Can you hear that screaming? I'm gonna go help her. Where is it? I don't know. It went down in the corner. It went down in the corner? How big is it? Give me a shoot. You're moving so fast. I couldn't get anything in time. Okay, okay, okay. It's okay. I hate me. Okay, it's okay. I'll kill it. Give me the shoe. I cannot, I cannot, I'm sorry, we can't do anything until I kill this. Like, I literally cannot do anything. I don't know where it is. Oh god, I hate this. I swear it's gonna move. I've been moving so much shit, it's fucking pretending like it's dead. What if it is dead? What if I take this and shit? No, it's not gonna work, it's not gonna work, it's not gonna work. That's not gonna work. Why do you know? It's not going to, it's not gonna work, it's not gonna work. Don't say that, it's not going to. Okay, okay, okay. I'm gonna take this thing to the. No, you can't. No, you said it's not gonna work. Yes, it is. It's not gonna work. No, it is. Emily, this is the only option. I'm not taking a paper towel to the corner and grabbing it with my fingers. No, you don't grab it. You just squish it. I know. I'm gonna squish it with the shoe. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, are you gonna fuck this up? I'm gonna. You have literally one try. Emily, I'm gonna do my best, but this scares the (laughs) shit. Throw up. <laughs> no, you fucked up. You fucking ran away. Well, if you would have just let me go for it in the corner, it's been telling me it wasn't gonna work. It wasn't going to, and then it would have fucking done that when you were over there. No! <laughs> Emily, do not question me on this. It was crawling up the wall. I missed it the first time, but I got it the second. It just doesn't look big enough. Emily, what if that was another it. one? What was that? What it's not. It was the one. same fucking one. I recognized its eyes. <laughs> I looked into its soul, and it said, try me, bitch. It's not. I got it. 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 That's it. Look at all its antennas. I don't see any. I see, like, two. 
because I squished the fuck out of it. <laughs> I beat it into oblivion. It disintegrated under your shoe. I hit it so hard. Holy shit. Should I keep some of that in? <laughs> yeah. I'm stress eating pickles and I only have two left. So there was a, a centipede in Emily's room. Um, we'll keep some of that journey in. But now we're back. I'm on my last pickle spear, besties. Oh no. All right. So as the colonel is trying to kill himself, he sees someone in the reflection that we can't really make out saying, um, stand down, Lieutenant Colonel. In a very creepy voice. The door starts to unlock on its own, and people hear him screaming, and they come to help. Uh, and the firefighters pull him out of the boiling water that he jumped into. And just when we think he's dead, he pops his head up and says, I told you he won't let me die. Credits. <laughs> then we cut to three weeks later. We're at the same hospital, but now Mulder and Scully are there interviewing the very burnt colonel. So Mulder and Scully are asking questions about the um, entity of a man that's trying to keep him from dying. And while the colonel is explaining that, um, that the entity that he sees looks like a soldier, Scully passes Mulder a note that says classic shell shock post-traumatic stress syndrome. Um, and it was just cute that she like passed him a note in the middle. First of all, this is Jillian Anderson's angelic era. Let's just get that straight. I told you, this still of her not believing this man is an iconic moment. This one of these visions that I have in my mind always of her face in this show. It's from this episode and I didn't even realize it. But her face is getting more and more perfect and I'm, I, she looks so beautiful here. I know. Like Dana Catherine Scully is so stunning. She's stunning. She's so beautiful. What? Like, how? How is she so beautiful? The word of the day to describe just how gorgeous she is. Okay, ready? I'm getting better. I said I was getting better. The word of today is captivating. Ooh, that's a good one. Mm -hmm. I wish you could look at the picture that, that of her that I'm looking at right now. Describe it. Her hair is like it looks like it looks like a croissant a croissant if you know yes it looks like a floofy warm buttery croissant her eyes are giant and blue and her lips are pursed so they're like you know they look extra pillowy i really like that word to describe her lips well it's really perfect and they are like a raspberry pink and her cheeks are a little flushed right under her eyes is like so white that it's like this the contrast it makes her look fresh and and radiant and um of course my favorite thing is that she's lit from the side so you can see just like the beginnings of her little smile lines forming. And I think that that's so, I said it once, I'll say it again. I just think that's so beautiful. It is. Beautiful. I also know that there's a headcanon somewhere of her passing the notebook off to Mulder, but in a different situation. I know, me too. Like it's on the tip of my tongue, but I can't seem to think of anything. 
Um, but that act of defiance and, and secrecy, I'm sure, really, really brought her back to her youth. Oh, yeah. So another captain um, calls Mulder and Scully out of the room of them interviewing the colonel and tells them on behalf of General Callahan, her superior officer, that they have to suspend their investigation. And she tells them that protocol requires that all investigation of military personnel has to be conducted through military channels, which is fucked on so many levels. Yeah. Like, what a backward system. Um, Scully, who was already pissed off two minutes into this episode, um, very intelligently asks if General Callahan has a superior officer himself, and then says, assuming that we want to investigate him, who would we talk to? And the captain is very flustered, and Scully demands that um, she tell him to make himself available to speak to them on their way out, because it's their protocol. And she's just so defiant and stubborn and driven and Mulder would, who would normally be all bent out of shape that somebody is taking his I hate authority thunder um, is too turned on to be mad about it. Yeah, two things. If I wasn't, if I wasn't gay already and I saw these two women going back and forth like that, that is like gay awakening content worthy. Oh, is it? Absolutely. Yes. Um... Second thing is that something absolutely happened to Scully before this episode because she is so in her power. I know. And not not backing down where she knows her talent and professionalism and intelligence is warranted. And she's taking up so much space. And this episode just shows how competent and strong and capable she is and how that manifests. Like she's acting like, her passion is the most beautiful thing about her and it is like she's very settled in her passion yeah well and i thought we were kind of making the same notes last episode so i think it's just it's a a little bit of a change in how jillian anderson's playing scully um yeah that's really fucking rad like her scully demanding the opportunity to pursue justice is really hot and i'm happy that we're getting to see it in such a loud and aggressive display i agree and it's like, and it's funny because, like, what Scully is able to get access to by being this, um, by being this loud, I don't mean like at volume loud, but by just being this much mm-hmm. and demanding this in the way that she is, Mulder gets access to simply through charm and being a white man in a suit who walked yeah. into a walked into a room that's very true i love that scully yeah exactly like i love that scully took the reins of that conversation because i feel like normally during an interview um whenever they're pulled out we hardly hear scully say two words and it's usually like a discussion with Mulder solely um mm-hmm. especially if they're being scolded um so that that was hot yeah it was a nice writing change like mixing it up you know this was um John Scheiben's first um, writing credit. Really? Yeah, and I said I, I kind of I kind of liked the way that he wrote Scully. That's what I was going to say. I like the way he writes her. Yeah, he um, he got criticized for this episode because he people felt like Mulder and Scully's dynamic was off and that they were really? written out of character. Yeah. Um, but oh my I god, loved- I loved their dynamic. You know, it's yeah. just because she has more power. So they're like, the dynamic's off. She's not totally submissive to him. Yeah, I, I love the way that he wrote Scully. Yeah, I'm a big fan. So Mulder and Scully go back up in to finish an interviewing, and the camera pans to show that there was a mailman who was listening to their conversation. So we follow the mailman to what looks like a group therapy session, and it's all um, what we're assuming are war vets in wheelchairs. 
one man is talking about a dream he had of running and playing with his children and he talks about how he he knows he'll never walk again but the dream seems so real that it made him think that maybe someday um but before he can finish his sentence another man in a wheelchair cuts him off and yells don't hold your breath and this guy's name is leonard and he's a quadruple amputee the therapist asks um what leonard's thoughts are because clearly he wants to speak um, and he's real pissy and he says that he pities all of them and makes fun of them and is really cynical about everything which is like fair to be cynical um, but mm-hmm. also he's really cruel to these people for no reason um, totally. and then he calls for Roach who's the mailman guy who, was, who we were following who's actually a private I guess but they call him Roach um, to take him out of the room so he does so Roach tells Leonard that the FBI is there investigating but Leonard doesn't really seem to give a shit that the FBI are there. Um, and so then we cut back to Mulder and Scully who go to see the general. So the general immediately is like, um, I tattled on you. And you can see both Mulder and Scully's daddy issues and authority figure complexes flare up like in sync. Yeah. Like, I swear to God, there's a moment where you can see it in tandem. Mutual orgasm, except for it's mutual complex flare. Complex flares. Yep. <laughs> Um, so the general doesn't get what they're investigating here, um, with the colonel because, and I quote, he says, he's a very sick man. That puts it mildly. Um, and Scully's like, yeah, we gathered, but his file is missing along with any information about his wife and two children being burned to death in a house fire three months ago. Um, and the general's like, yeah, yeah, well, that was tragic. And Scully's like, right. But there's no record of a criminal or arson investigation. And I'm just a big fan of how she's talking in all these scenes. I know. And I'm trying not to anxiously wait for everything she's asserting confidently to be proven wrong. um, Because that device always feels like it's looming. But it doesn't happen. I know. Like, she's, she's on the right track, Sans, when she doesn't believe that Leonard could have been the one to do it. Yep. Which I think is fair. Like, that fits the dynamic. This is actually, I think, maybe the perfect display of their dynamic because it still values her intelligence and, um, and agency while allowing her to be the skeptical one and Mulder's insight into the supernatural being the one that helps him solve the case. Like, it makes sense. I agree. Like, we definitely still get a little bit of, like, oh, Mulder managed to just solve the case in one line. Yes. Yeah. But it's not, but it's not, it's not, um, it's not to triumph anything that Scully has set up until this point. Like no. it's not to step. It's not. It's not based on stepping on top of anything that Scully has said or done up until that point. Yeah, it's like just to move forward. It usually feels like it is exactly. It feels like a dual effort, a joint effort. Yeah. Well, because I feel like it's usually her being so sure about something, and then Mulder saying the exact opposite, and that exact opposite thing is exactly what solves the case. Exactly. This so isn't like that. Um, Mulder says that the colonel says that he was stopped from saving his family by some sort of phantom soldier. And the general's like, yeah, bro, like, he suffered a lot. And Scully's like, well, not unlike Sergeant Staff Kevin Aiklin, who also lost his family to a house fire and then was committed to a psychiatric ward telling the doctors he wanted to die but that somebody wouldn't let him. And then he eventually did succeed in killing himself very gruesomely, and I won't detail that the way that they do in the episode. Um, so then Mulder pipes in about um, that not being procedure or protocol. And I'm like, excuse me, is this a, is this a two-hander I'm seeing? Are, are they working together right now? Is that what this is? Because sexy. 
Yeah, it's a different show. I know. But then it's like we have a shit case. Yeah, and the only other women in the episode die. Is the victim or the victims, yeah. Yeah. So the general gets really jumpy at the mention of this like other soldier that this happened to and it's like who's under suspicion here and Scully just like purses her lips and that's iconic. Um, the general says that he makes no excuses for the tragedies in these men's lives um, but they're casualties of war and that's all there is to it. So Scully chimes in again and is like well I hope you'd allow us the opportunity to come to our own conclusions. And, like, this is just me freaking out over everything we've just said. Like, I was just like, who is this Scully? Like, where did she come from all pissed and ready to fight? I'm happy she's here. Mm-hmm. Welcome to the world. It almost, like, it's not even that she's pissed and ready to fight. It's just that she's, like, she's finally able to take a commanding role in the way that Mulder is. It just feels like she's pissed because she's having to raise her voice in a way that Mulder doesn't have to, to get the same results. Oh my God, you're right. She's not even angry. It's just, that's how, that's how we perceive women in power. (gasps) Oh shit. My bad guys. That's okay. So they go to the crime scene where the Colonel Lash tried to kill himself in the hydrotherapy room. And Scully's like, I know this, this isn't what originally drew you to the case, but it's really clear that the general is protecting these men from prosecution for the murder of their families. And truthfully, like, I feel like this episode would have been more interesting and certainly more powerful if that was the actual, like, route that this case took. If the men were responsible for killing their families. Yeah. Like they like, like the, because you could have the same overall thing or that war is destroying people and that these men um, couldn't deal with their PTSD. So they ended up killing their families and the military protected them for it. That's very yeah. realistic. Mm-hmm. And having them get justice for these families would be something more powerful because in the end they don't just get justice for anything. I know. Nothing happens. It feels like a very, it feels like the episode, the episode, um, plot and then what ends up happening it cancels itself out right or like or like the idea and the plot cancel each other out so you like, end up back at point? square one exactly yeah. so it's like i'm like why did we go on this journey at the end although a lot of episodes kind of are like that's that. kind of the thing yeah we've talked about that before but yeah so i think that storyline might have been more interesting um but mostly, like, the fact that Scully was so quickly attuned to the possible injustice against women and children, um, which is why she, like, so fervently stepped into action, is really cool. And then I just was bummed that that this wasn't the storyline that was explored, because as Scully's saying all of this, very, like, important um, um, hypothesis, this, like, she's, like, pontificating about this really important theory um Mulder's looking out the window wonder like wandering around sticking his fingers in things and I was just very arrogant it's very arrogant and I I don't think it has to be but it's the way that he does it that comes off as so arrogant because it comes off like he's not listening because he's not listening to her exactly like you can be looking because she does it all the time where she looks around the room and is taking in clues and stuff like while other people are talking and still engaged in conversation it's just listening but the second he starts looking around he, he tunes her out completely mm-hmm. um so Mulder plays along with scully's theory for a bit but she knows that he doesn't really buy it and calls him out on it um and then he pontificates wow pontificates is my word of the day today sorry um about Colonel Stans, who was the guy who was burned in the beginning, he um, talks about him leaving the door unlocked when he tried to kill himself, but then says, but then again, I have a feeble grasp on army protocol and procedure. So his ego's just really hurt um, because he got yelled at by some military people 
And that's ugly. Like, I'm sorry. Step up and get fired up like Scully. Don't get sulky. Anyway, so, um, cut to the general in his office. The female captain from the beginning comes in to apologize for putting him on the spot with the FBI earlier. He's, like, nice to her about it, and he sends her home. Um, she leaves, and he gets a bottle of something alcoholic from under his desk, which seems super professional. Um, and while he's doing that, he sees a reflection of a soldier in the mirror, and he hears a voice saying, your time has come, killer. Uh, then the phone beeps and we hear another distorted voice repeat like one phrase over and over um, that seems like it means something but it's all really just gibberish um, and the general pulls out the tape and is like oh that was scary my heart went pitta patta pitta patta so cut to the female captain in the officer's um, gym going for a swim when she's getting changed it was like that's such a male gaze shot was it really? I don't remember what it was. Yeah, it was like I knew that we couldn't get by on this woman simply being commanding and not, and her not being sexualized at all. Because they made her the same woman that they make Scully, which is she's authoritative and she's capable. But what happens when she lets her hair down? Oh my Liter- God. Right. Literally. Literally lets her yeah. hair down. She dies. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's obviously the worst part of it. Yeah. Oh my God. That's a really good point. Um, so while she's swimming, some kind of invisible entity pulls her underwater and she drowns. And then like, I noticed that she screams and fight in a really girlish way, which is, there's nothing wrong with that, but she's a trained captain in the army. So you'd think it would go differently. It would be more like practiced. Yeah. It would be more like there would be more skill to it rather than just shrieking and like flailing. So cut to Scully examining her body the next day. She looked really disturbed by this, very validly. I love when Jillian, like, actually acts with meaning, you know? But it's also another scene where Scully is the only other woman in the room except for the victim. Yes! My God, you blew my mind the first time you said that. Because it happens so often. I know, I wish I I had been paying attention to it from the beginning, but we'll pay attention to it now. And uh, the stats aren't great so far. And it's also just it, a woman can't be authoritative and can't be in her power and can't be autonomous with agency without some form of consequence, which is the show's favorite trope to, to adhere to. Whether that be death or pregnancy or loss of some sort. Kidnapping or um, abuse or <laughs> isolation. All those things. So Scully um, tells the general that this wasn't an accidental death. So Scully tells the general that it wasn't accidental and that there were bruises around her neck and shoulders roughly the size of finger marks. Mulder says that they saw nobody enter the pool and nobody leave um, except for her and tells the general that he and his family may be in danger um, because Mulder's like, this fits the MO of the phantom killer, so be wary of any unusual or unexplained phenomena. Um, And the general's like, well, now that you mention it, some weird things happened to me last night, um, and my phone machine has been um, speaking to me in code for a bit now. Um, so Mulder steps in and is like, what do you mean your voicemail has been speaking to you? And it's, it's kind of erotic. Cut to the general's home. The mail arrives and someone comes into the house um, to take it and like runs through the middle of the house and the general's little boy is playing in the living room and sees it and starts screaming for his mom um so she checks outside but we see um roach sneaking around 
out of the house behind her so she doesn't see him. The general, Mulder, and Scully all pull up to his house and his wife is like, oh, thank God, I think somebody is in the house. There's a shot of Scully getting out of the car and I'd rewind it a few times just because I was just, I was just shocked by what I saw. And I don't know. Jillian's talking about how Arlene has a great butt. I just think she shouldn't cut herself short. The general and his wife go back and forth for a bit. It's really bad acting. Like, like exceptionally awful. Um, But it's really funny seeing Scully so focused right in between them. Yeah. Um, so the general sends his wife upstairs and is like, I'll be right up to talk to you. And she's like, some, she said somebody was in the house, but nobody seems to care. Um, so the general show, shows Mulder and Scully his weird voicemails. Scully starts looking around. Um, would you like to talk about any of these moments? No, the, like only, ups? the only the only note that I have here is that I like that even though Scully is skeptical still... In this episode, they let her see what's happening. Yeah. And they let her... So she's not made out to be, like, crazy for not believing what Mulder and the audience so clearly see. Yeah. I feel like that often happens where it's, like, w- because we also are seeing what Mulder's seeing, anything that comes out of Scully's mouth is, like, oh, she's crazy. It's, like, oh, silly her me. doesn't observe what, what we're observing. And you align exactly. with Mulder instead of her. And so it's like that does give like an, the audience a level of superior of, or, or a feeling of superiority or like this illusion of superiority because yeah. it's like, you know, if you already have that ingrained in you, especially the fact that Scully is a woman, then you're, you know, that that's going to play into your, your biases and your stereotypes that you already have, you know? Yeah. Well, and it's like, I, I've never even thought about what, but it's true. Mm hmm. That's so true. Like if we're constant, the audience is constantly made to be on Mulder's side and constantly made to see what's happening through Mulder's eyes. And so naturally when Scully presents her case, your initial instinct is like, you're insane. You're crazy. What do you mean? Like open your eyes. Mm -hmm. And that can foster some damaging characterizations of scully yeah and it's like i've been thinking about this lately where like jillian says a lot of times in interviews like that nobody had seen a woman like scully on television before you know and so that did a massive things for women watching tv at the time which is like true but then the sh- but it needs to break away from that patriarchal standard more than it does you know what i mean so it's like be- no, say more um so it's like be- so it's like even though like she's there and she has a job and she's a lo- she's with the guys and it's like she's she's considered intelligent and like has a little bit of agency sometimes um and women had never seen that before it's like yeah that's good but um there's still these like constant perpetuations of um it- there's still this constant perpetuation of the um discrediting of women and um putting them as secondary and um punishing them for their sexuality there's still all of those things being perpetuated 
Um, mm -hmm. And I feel like those two things existing alongside each other are really hard to reconcile with. Where it's like, yes, this was revolutionary for the time, but like it wasn't revolutionary enough. You know what I mean? It's a step, but it wasn't intentional. So that, that's what I think it falls more into is that like it was it wasn't the fact that all of those other biases exist or all of those other horrible things that happened to her the way that she was written didn't live up to you know the hype that I think that her character got um was the fault of the fact that they didn't they didn't set out to make her a feminist character they just set out to be different mm -hmm. than what was on tv at the time exactly. I mean based on how Chris Carter talks about the series and talks about Scully um, and then how the discussions that he has around her not having a desk and the narratives that he oversaw are proof that he did not set out to create a feminist character. He just set out to create something which contrary, we've talked about yeah. that was different and different being contrary to um, the women that were on TV at the time. Like, I understand being like, no, yeah, it was something nobody had ever seen before, right? And, like, mm -hmm. in that, like, women saw themselves in a woman on TV for the first time. And it's like, yeah, they were seeing themselves, but they, they weren't seeing a bettered version of themselves. They truly were seeing where they were, which was maybe they were working in, in, in male-dominated fields, but they weren't being valued in those fields. They were still yeah, exactly. side in those fields. They still had um, a sexuality that wasn't allowed to flourish if they wanted to succeed in those fields exactly so it's like is it beneficial to just see a mirrored version of yourself like yeah representation's important but there should be a bit of transforming that happens. you know what i mean yeah i think it i think it kind of falls into the same category of like uh the of the popular story choice that happens with um lesbian couples or women love women couples or queer women um in television and in movies and in media where it's like yes there's representation but something nearly always goes wrong or something bad nearly always happens like there, there isn't the the presence of just like in a a simple and like wholehearted and like old-fashioned yeah. love story between two women where nothing bad happens doesn't really exist exactly yeah, that's a really and I good think point. That, I think that it kind of falls into the same category of like why why yeah, representation, but like at yeah. what cost? It's like and it is like, and it's like I understand that like no, but you want to show it realistically. Like frequently bad things do happen in like women love women relationships or people don't support their relationship or there's some kind of violence frequently women are discredited and traumatized in the way that scully is but if you're going to represent that then you need to represent that with the awareness that it's wrong which and, i think and, is the issue here is that it's like oh look we're representing it just as it is but we're not say, we're, we're agreeing with it like that that that's okay that that's happening like there's no yeah. condemning happening well, that's the thing. It's like it's it, it presents it as inherent and unavoidable and also irredeemable. Yeah. So it's like at least with, I mean, just, you know, looking at the L word at least, it's like there's a pretty big moment where 
one of the main characters deals with like homophobia in like a, a really really traumatizing and damaging way um when when bet um goes on tv with that woman who's homophobic but there's that which is realistic and then there's that complemented and and coupled with like moments of utter joy and um and love and normal yes everyday things that you see in romantic comedies between a a heterosexual couple um so i think that's also the issue Mm -hmm. is like and that goes back to like one of the main arguments about why scully's character was was um was mistreated so severely is because there aren't there isn't that balance yeah and it's like you need to stray from defining your marginalized characters as their oppression like yeah and and make them full three-dimensional complex characters just like real people because exactly because she's both dealing with the oppression of being a woman in this field as well as never being allowed to have anything good happen to her ever in her life. No woman wants to watch that. Exactly. So Scully um, notices somebody in the backyard. Um, so they go outside and they find footprints in his kid's sandbox. So Roach was clearly running through there. But going off of that, I think because ultimately we know that Mulder's going to be right in the end because the show's about paranormal and unexplained phenomena and whatnot but at least involving scully in this un- uncovering in the way that what's his name that john scheiben does um it gives scully agency in her devotion and it gives her agency in her commitment in trying to get to the truth like through ever through whatever method that might be yeah that's literally exactly it because it's it doesn't um it still shows the the conflict that you need between Mulder and scully to make the dynamic interesting while not completely invalidating her um skill and position and intelligence well yeah and it honors her it honors her competency yeah competency competence it it honors her competence Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And capability. Yeah. So cut to Leonard getting some treatment done. Roach is there, like, hiding and being creepy. And he brings Leonard some stolen mail from the general's house. Roach is like, I don't want to do this anymore, man. But Leonard's like, uh, you owe it to me. Um, and says that he wouldn't be in the wheelchair if it wasn't for him. And Roach is like, shit, yeah, you're right. Okay, I'll keep helping you. Um, so Leonard is clearly out for revenge. Um, and he says, what do you do when I when I tap on the tank, get some, get some fire at will, which is something that's repeated throughout the episode and like is repeated in like the final attacks, which I'm, I'm assuming is, is something that they said in the, in war, like when they were out in combat, but it's never really addressed. Mm. Um, so Colonel stands, the burnt guy goes, um, goes by while Leonard is waiting for the nurse. Um, and looks at him and is like it seems like he recognizes him and is very confused and troubled by that Mm -hmm. so cut to scully coming back to the general's house she tells Mulder that whoever's targeting the general left fingerprints um which is exciting so cut to the military and scully running up the stairs guns cocked 
and you never get to see and Mulder's there too, but like you see a shot of Scully going up the stairs. Um Mulder's there too should be the title of this episode. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good one. Um but like you never get to see her in action sequences like this. Big fan. Yeah, her and Mulder are like you never her and Mulder always seem so outside of like the the procedural aspect of the show. And mm-hmm. it's fun to actually see them be a part of it and remember like, oh yeah, they like are professionals who do this. Like they're not just two random people who go around and <laughs> look pretty. Talk to people in towns looking hot, you know? Yeah. So they break in to Roach's house and arrest him. Um, they go through his stuff, and Mulder finds mail from all the victims, including the general. So I'm a Kai- big fan. I'm a big fan of this suit on Scully, I have to say. Is it the blue one? Yeah. Um, it's like a pinstripe, which is my favorite, but it's the same color. It's just a different like texture or stitch pattern and so it's it's like a satiny and also like a this is so bad but it's like a shiny material and then it's like a matte material and that's what makes the pinstripe um but it's just as radiant as her eyes and her hair and her skin and so it looks really nice so cut to the general's little boy playing in his sandbox with his toy sh- soldiers making, like, shooting noises. We love the breeding of toxic masculinity. Um, suddenly an entity moves the sand and the little boy gets completely buried um, and dies. So cut to Scully interrogating Roach. His name is actually Quentin. And um, Scully says it was such a vengeance. Um, and that makes me really happy because my ex-boyfriend from high school's name was Quentin. And I like seeing her, like, yell at him. <laughs> it so feels funny. really personal. Um, so Mulder and Scully try to get Quentin to f- um, fess up to his accomplice. And he says, I'm just the mailman. I'm Rappo's mailman. So apparently they call Leonard Rappo. Why? I don't really know. This scene is a great example of how quickly and how easily I would fold if these two were interrogating me. So Mulder and Scully pay Leonard a visit. They see that he's a quadruple amputee and Scully's like, shit, he lied to us. He must have a different accomplice. I'm going to go add that to the list um, in dips. Before she dips, they are standing so close to each other. I know. I want to see them like really like 1940s Hollywood make out in a hall. Yeah, we don't even have to see their faces. Like, you know how, like, in the silhouette. 1940s... Yeah, not even a silhouette. You know how they, like, buried their faces? Like, like so they were so twisted... Yes. ...that you couldn't even see their mouths? Yes. I would 100% settle for that. Me too. But it's like, why does she squeeze past him? And she brushes up against him because I can hear the fabric of your suits rubbing together, besties. They're so loud. And why is he looking down at her from under his lashes like that? It's like cool. Like, just, just look down. Just tilt your head. Yeah, do it. Do it, I dare, dare you. you. <laughs> These are the questions that keep me up at night. <laughs> so Mulder in his big, stupid, intuitive brain is like, I'll catch up with you later, Scully, and he stays behind. Um, and he sees Leonard asleep looking at, like he's having very active dreams. He's very twitchy. Um, 
So Roach is locked up and he's screaming. He knows this place. He can find me here. He's been here before. Um, and he's losing his fucking mind. But the guard just ignores it. And then when Scully um, gets there to rip him a new one, he's dead. I, okay, I made note of this for you. When Scully's walking down the, har- the hall with the guard, the guard says, you don't want to get him started again. He was pretty worked up an hour ago. And she says, not as wor- worked up as I'm going to be. And Emily's just, like, writhing back and forth. And I had a feeling that this is how you would react to that part. So what what did you feel in that moment when you heard that line? When I heard that line, I just, I felt, okay, I'm going to need that on repeat for the rest of my life. It was just such, okay, here's why it's damaging, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's, it's an insight into how quick she is, you yes. know? Yeah. Also, that very well. This this whole episode had like mom and dad energy between her and Mulder, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, and that absolutely could have been something, you know, flash forward five years or however many years. I guess four years now. Mm-hmm. Um, when they have a child. And, you know, or I guess a couple of years because the child would have to be somewhat grown. Anyways, flash forward a couple of years when they have a child together, you know, that could have easily escalated into a child misbehaving and Mulder leading Scully to him and Mulder saying, you know, he's pretty worked up and her saying, not as worked up as I'm going to be and him being like, Scully... You imitate the way that he does Scully like that so well, and every time he does that, it really fucks me up. So when you imitate it spot on, um, I don't appreciate it. That's how you know I'm in love with her. Fox, Mulder, me. Shake and shake. So Mulder shows up to the crime scene, um, and he tells Scully that he's sure that Roach had help in the murders, and that he's sure that it's Leonard. Um, and Scully's like, what the fuck, bro? Like, how would he do that? And Mulder pulls out some dental x-ray plates that he's been suspiciously carrying around with him since the beginning. And he shows he, her... Like, that- he pulls them out, and she's like, yeah, I know. I've seen you. You've been carrying those around for whatever fucking reason, this whole, this whole investigation. Have you seen those TikToks, <clears throat> like, making fun of, like our age people in middle school like like walking around a mall trying to get scouted for a model at 10 years old like you know that energy it's like that's his energy carrying around those fucking dental x-ray plates like trying to get her to notice them he's like like, waving them in front of her face yeah and she's like yeah Yeah. i've seen it um he's like this is gonna be a big reveal later she's like i fucking saw you doing that um but basically, he has them because it shows that all of the victims were exposed to the same kind of radiation. Um, Mulder thinks the radiation is from an astral projection and that Leonard is the one astral projecting. And do we need to solve it in one line? No, but here we are. So this is when Mulder talks about like the facets of astral projecting and Scully goes, Mulder. Wait, how did she do it? I don't remember. Um, she goes, Mulder. I that was so much for me. The funny thing about this scene is that she was so distracted by his lips. Like she was trying rewatch the scene. She was trying so hard not to look at his lips. Her eyes were about to shoot out of her face. <laughs> she was focusing so intensely. Me and Dana Scully, handshake. <laughs> um 
But I told I told you this earlier, but I'll say it again, which is just that when the way that Scully says Mulder has our kid just asked for ice cream for dinner and you said yes. Why did you say yes? Energy. That's all I want to see. So Mulder thinks that uh, Leonard needed Roach to get him letters because he needed um, like a token from his victims' lives to connect to them, like a psychic does or whatever. So then Mulder plays the creepy voicemail from the general's machine backwards. I, fuck, I fucking could have guessed that one. And it turns out that the gibberish says, your time has come, killer. And it's just like, that's kind of just bad storytelling to have him solve everything in one foul swoop. Yeah. One monologue. He's like, here's all of the questions answered. Well, and it's like, he solves the entire case in, in one line again. And this time, Scully's just like, well as outlandish as that sounds you're probably going to be right so i'm just going to sigh and not say anything and thank god you have gorgeous lips exactly his lips look so good they do she thought so makes me feel better that she also thought so you know of course she does are you kidding me so they go to pay leonard a visit they're basically like, why did you kill him? And he's like, are you kidding? If I could use my body, I could think of other things I'd rather be doing. And while he says that, he's looking at Scully up and down. And, okay, I know. He's harassing her. It's bad. I'm a feminist. I hate that. Bad. But the way Mulder, like, gets so protective and blocks his eyeline of her and, like, jumps onto the bed, basically. Um, um, if you see my feminism... Uh, Get, can you tell her to come back to me, please? Thank you. If you saw the feminism leaving my body, no, you didn't. No, you didn't. The thing is, here, here's, here's the, uh, here's, I'll, 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 I'll fix this for you. Dana Scully has daddy issues, and she, if Mulder were to ever speak up for her in like a meeting or you know questioned her competence mm-hmm. by trying to explain something better than her in a in an authoritative setting you know mm-hmm. unacceptable he would literally never be able to breathe in the same room as her ever again but in this instance what is she gonna do she's not gonna beat him up that's just women just deal with harassment that's so you know? true yeah and so it's like if Mulder wants to appeal to her daddy issues i don't see any problem with it you know what me either that made me feel so much better thank you you're welcome um so and then Mulder and leonard like talk for a really long time like noses touching um but the consensus of the conversation is that war is bad and traumatic and nobody's surprised because and nobody's surprised that violence breeds more violence no one so they leave and Mulder whispers no sleepwalking into his face and like the, the, the timbre of his voice sent shivers down my vagina. <laughs> that's why the ambulance is coming to get you because that's not right. They're coming to get me because I think something's wrong. Um, I had a headcanon to that line actually oh God, that please. I was debating whether or not I should say it or not and I'm just going to say we'll it. We'll say it and you can change. You have until tomorrow to change your mind. Okay, so the headcanon is Scully is pregnant during I Want to Believe, or she's pregnant anytime, mm-hmm. and she starts sleeping, sleepwalking while she's pregnant, like just at, you know, in the very early stages. Mm-hmm. And 
the night before she like woke up and was sleepwalking or something and um she almost tripped on a blanket or something and he found her and thankfully nothing happened but then the next night when they go to bed he like cuddles her up and squeezes her and says that and whispers that in her ear Stevie's just gripping her face I don't that was a lot for me sorry that was a really good one really yes okay that one's really good Scully also looks so beautiful here I couldn't even explain I just said are you kidding me because it's just on it's just I have three pictures of her in this moment and there's something beyond everything about her beauty I, I beyond everything that's sweet there is seriously okay yeah that's it um so cut to the general's wife clean, cleaning up her dead son's toys sweet um she's a woman who's a victim of her husband's actions only in the x-files eh. all of these women like all of these wives and children of these men who were killed like why in every plot line of this show do women have to die because of the actions of the men in their periphery yeah it's a good it's a great question and i don't think that we'll ever get an answer no um so the general starts drinking fair um and then he sees the reflection of leonard in the mirror and bloody footprints around his house so he yells for his wife and comes in to find her dead it's not clear what happened but it's bloody um the general grabs his gun and goes downstairs, ignoring Scully's call and as her and Mulder speed over there. Um, the general arrives to visit Stans, the burnt guy, and be like, you were right, he won't let us die. And then he tries to kill himself in front of him, but the gun like won't fire. Um, and then Stan says that he knows who it is, and then it cuts to the general walking into Leonard's room. So Leonard immediately confesses to killing his family. And is like, yeah, I fucking did it. Um, and the general goes to shoot him, and Leonard's, like, egging him on, chanting the same things that um, he did in the beginning. Um, and the general shoots above his head and is like, you're going to suffer like the rest of us, and then leaves. Um, so Mulder and Scully go to take a look at Leonard, and he's having some kind of seizure, um, meaning he's astral projecting, I think. So the general gets down. So the general goes down on the elevator. Um, it takes him to the bottom floor and magically turns into some kind of like war zone with pipes exploding and everything. And that like astral projected being starts attacking him. Um, so Mulder goes down there. Meanwhile, Scully's trying to medically pull Leonard out of his astral state. Scully steps out to get a crash car because he's going into cardiac arrest and stands. The burnt guy locks himself in there with Leonard. Um, Stan starts to smother Leonard, and right before the astral being attacks Mulder, who's looking really sweaty and disheveled, um, the astral being disappears, and Leonard dies. Scully witnesses um, the, the burn guy kill Leonard mm -hmm. from outside the door, and Annan from the person who sent us the curious cat in the beginning, if you, I have a gift for you, it's this final scene of Scully and her side profile and her nose, her perfect, beautiful nose. They just kept zooming in on her face and I was sitting there like, yes, yes, keep getting closer. I love I that. Like, let, let me appreciate the abundance of her beauty fully. Seems very personal. Every perfection up close. Oh, every And they perfection. kept going. 
so I was very happy. Your love is so sweet. So the episode ends with Mulder doing a report about how nothing was solved and it like feigns an attempt for depth with the idea um, of war destroying Leonard's physical body, but his real wounds went deeper than the loss of limbs. Um, and the final line of the episode is, what destroyed those parts of him that makes us human beings, those better angels of our nature? I cannot say. And like, buddy, I can. It's literally just trauma. Yeah. Hello? This this show really doesn't have any concept of, of trauma. Of the effects of trauma, yeah, lives. at all. Yeah. Um, and Finn, that's it. That's the episode. That's the episode. What a wild ride. I didn't realize how um, impactful the difference of their dynamic was. It was, yeah, I mean, this episode missed the mark. And a few other by ways. By a lot. Yeah. Um, but I like the way that he wrote Scully. Me too. For sure. Me too, 100%. Shall we do Jillian's Corner? <laughs> yes, please. Shall we sing? Yes. All right. <laughs> One, two, three. I forgot how it went for like a second. <laughs> I know, me too. Okay, I'm ready. Okay. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba-da-ba. Jillian's Corner. Nice. Beautiful. Mm. Never before done. Never done before. <laughs> Never. <laughs> Okay. We're going to head cannon. We're going to play our sex tape game. Especially because someone asked us what our favorite head cannons are in general. Yeah. So, oh. which n- n- people ask us often. And I've been asked that like before we had a podcast. And I don't have a favorite. Like, I don't have favorites. I, know. I was going to say, I don't have, um, I don't know that I have an answer to that. Yeah. My favorite, well, my, my, the only thing that I can say is my favorite head cannon is that, um, Scully was able to be a mother to her children. And uh, that's my favorite headcanon. That's the only one that I have. Honestly, me too. And that Scully was able to work through her trauma. Like, those are... That's it. Yeah. And then the rest are just, like, fun. Like, are there, like, favorite scenarios? Like, yeah, but it depends on the day. Truly, yeah. Like, I was going to say, some days I could be like, yeah, they, like, fucked on their desk. While Skinner was coming down the elevator. Um, and other days, I could be like, yeah, they danced in their kitchen making pancakes. And, like, I love them equally. So Yeah. Let's do You Send Me by Aretha Franklin. well well you go first okay well i have two for this but i'm just gonna say one because it's better um (laughs) but that is like dana scully getting to live out her white picket fence fantasy um but instead of Mulder coming home from work she's coming home from work but he's like waiting for her on their porch it's very, it's very like 1950s but like if the 1950s was like actually 
good for everyone. <laughs> yes. But you know what I mean? It's yes, like, yes. like the romantic aspect of the 1950s without um, all of the trauma and oppression. That song, exactly. That song is Dana Scully romanticizing her own life. Oh, I love that. I want to believe era dusk oh yeah obviously yeah. i want to believe yeah yeah um like it's orange outside you know mm-hmm. she's coming home from her big fancy doctor job and her wife is sitting on the front porch <laughs> i love that yep mine is also i want to believe but i, I i'm thinking okay bear with me i'm thinking mm-hmm. cinematically here right mm-hmm. so like like if you're shooting it so, so i want to believe like let's say it's like the end of the movie right like how like she like she leaves him at the end um spoiler that whole fucking podcast is spoilers it doesn't fucking matter <laughs> um we talked about the last episode of the series in the first episode of the podcast so <laughs> it doesn't matter um and it's like this song is playing and you kind of like i don't know something happens like shot wise where you kind of think like maybe she came back or whatever or mm. like maybe um like oh shit like where like you see or like maybe it's like flashbacks to them like dancing in their in their house before um but you think it's really happening and, and you think it's happening and then it cuts to her by herself oh sh- and it's like it. no they weren't because I love when people do that, like, when directors, like, they play, like, really happy, like, warming songs, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden it's, like, oh, it's not happy at all, and it's, like, that kind of dichotomy together. Yeah. That would also be a good song off of your horror theme thing, mm-hmm. sort of. Um, if anyone's ever seen Mr. and Mrs. Smith, the scene at the end where they're, like, where you're, like, are they fighting? Are they trying to kill each other? Or are they trying to have sex? Like, what's happening? That song would be a great overlay to a scene like oh that. my god yeah holy shit um also i was just thinking you know that in the ninth season when she gives up william and she's like crying over his crib saying that she doesn't know what choice she has but you don't know really know what she's talking about mm-hmm. like that song starts playing and then it cuts to william like being tucked in and like getting all like like looking all cute and then and, and then you cut and realize that it's not with her Let's take a dark turn. Anyways, your first headcanon was probably the best one, the happy one. Let's stick with Dana Scully romanticizing her life. Should we move on? Okay, yeah, let's move on. Okay, let's move on. Okay, should we do some Janis Joplin? Always. Okay, let's do A Woman Left Lonely. Oh, hell yeah. I don't know. I'm just, I'm feeling really visual, like lots of like. As opposed like, to what? Well, okay. <laughs> feeling cinematic today, I think. Okay. Um, so mine is. It's, it's season nine. Mm-hmm. She's she hasn't had William for a little bit. Mulder's not there for not been there for a little bit. So she's by mm-hmm. herself. A woman left lonely, one could say. <laughs> and she's masturbating but crying and it's cutting back and forth between her and like memories of all the things that it kind of says in the lyrics 
like of of him of like of them together of them fighting of them fucking whatever going but then it's back with her and and she's masturbating that's a good one mine is similar but it's so interesting because mine is like way earlier Mm. like the complete opposite oh my god cool opposite but like season like season four okay that's spicy yeah season four and it's like the first time that she allows herself to lean into like Mulder as um uh, this fantasy that she has Mm. um because I don't know that she really realizes that she's in love with him until like the Diana arc until like season five yeah or whenever that happens yeah like end of season five right season six I think yeah yeah um but i think that you know as dana scully would that would be something very private but even in private i don't know that she would lean into it right away and so i feel like this is the first time where she's just like really allowing herself to um be alone and and have there not be any shame in that and allows her and her allowing herself to really indulge in things that she may have felt um were like stereotypical of for her Mm. but that it didn't matter because she's wanting to indulge in them yes because she's in her power and that's a good one and then at the end she's like whoo maybe i should talk to (laughs) mold let's do o from sleater kinney Does Spotify have like when an album came out? Oh yes, hold on. 2002. Okay, that's interesting because I feel like I feel like that was definitely like pretend like that song came out earlier. That was 100% on Dana Scully's um, shuffle. Yeah. In some capacity. I agree. Um, and at first I was kind of like, hmm, I don't really know. I kind of had an idea, but then once the mu- once the singing starts, it's the vibe is so different. Yeah. So I feel like that was some sort of ready cinematic. Okay. Okay. So Scully is like making dinner or something. She's in her apartment and she's you know not expecting anyone. She's playing her music, but it's like her embarrassing music. You know. Yeah. Um, and, uh, someone knocks at her door. Who is it? <laughs> I could take a guess. <laughs> it's Maggie. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it's Mulder. And, um, and she's like, what are you do- doing? But he just like, he's a man with a mission, you know, if you know what I mean. I do. And, um, he she opens the door and it's like all one so he like moves with the door like he moves with the opening of the door uh-huh. and he picks her up and then something happens on the back of her something couch something happens that's a good one <laughs> that's a very good one mine is uh specifically after syzygy 
when they're all still like hot and bothered because the planets are all out of a line so they're both like pissy and they're in her car with her cd and she's fucking him in her back seat amazing because mercury is in retroactive (laughs) okay let's do creature by penny and sparrow you know how well one of your headcans is that they first had sex in the pilot but another one of them is that they first had sex during the cancer arc i feel like this would be a good one for during the cancer arc perhaps Mm -hmm. in the hospital bed very emotional wow Um, that's mine i feel like this has to be the like after the the last scene the last thing that we see Mm, in season nine that would be a good one i feel like it's like a mixture of like a mixture of just like holding each other and and feeling each other and um being near each other yeah i take mine I, i take mine back i like yours better no, I like yours, though. Don't take it back. That's a good one. Okay. Because I think... Or the other option is, like, the first time that they, like, made love. You know what I mean? Mm, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely, like, the, that's not a fucking song. That's a that's a making love song. I hope not. <laughs> um, yeah. Because I don't think that that was, that, that was the energy of their first time. No. Mm-mm. I think it was really oh. emotional. Yeah. Okay. Look at us. Well done. I feel like we got a lot of vibes in there. I think so, yeah. That was good. That's the episode. That's the episode. Thanks for listening. Um, reach out to people that you think are interesting. Appreciate noses. And don't fuck Watch just the happy L-word. songs. <laughs> Watch the L word. Watch the L word. Emily said so. It's Pride Month, so you have to do what she says. Yeah. Um, required viewing for Pride Month is watching the L Word. If you need help picking uh, specific episodes or um, scenes, she's your girl. I'm your girl. Okay, we love you, and we'll see you next time on The Sex Files. Bye. Goodbye.